Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to season seven of What the Flock. This season, our goal is to carefully approach some very serious and often polarizing topics. The issues we're going to focus on have and continue to cause so much damage, people seem unable to civilly discuss these topics. The episodes in this season will give you the tools you need to facilitate your ability to talk about these topics in a beneficial manner. I'm joined by my co-host, Joel Swakowski. How are you doing, Joel? I'm doing well. I'm really enjoying learning how to discuss these topics civilly, that's for sure. That's right. It's been amazing to focus on hearing. Yeah. Oh, hearing, absolutely. Like, it's you it's know, helped me in my in my outside of podcasting life as well. <laughs> yeah. I want to give a disclaimer. The seriousness of these issues often result in people not hearing both sides before judging the issue. So with that said, we encourage you to be careful sharing anything from these episodes with other people without first encouraging them to hear the entire episode for themselves. Also, in addition to listening to the entire episode for yourself, we highly recommend listening to any previous episodes that are referenced during this episode. Yes. Now, these are all topics that have been debated at length. The reason they have and continue to be debated is because traditional style debates do not work. What those debates do is they pit two sides against each other. Each side is concerned with only trying to prove their own point, often becoming overly emotional about the topic, even triggering. And instead of trying to learn something new and find out how they could be wrong about what they believe, when it comes to these topics, people seem to want to root themselves deeper into what they already believe. Right. And we saw with the previous six seasons that each issue has two perspectives that distract people from the ultimate answer. We called one the strict and one the loose side of the argument. So could you give us an overview and a reminder of the strict and loose sides, Joel? Yes, sir. So the strict perspective, this side invites and initiates conflict on these topics we're covering, covering in season seven. This strict side tends to be a bully using intimidation as a tactic to control people. This side holds people to strict standards in which they rationalize away any need they would have to hold themselves to that same standard. These people become hypocrites like the Pharisees when they are confronted and they respond to that confrontation by justifying why they can hold others to a higher standard than they hold themselves. You know, we see this really easily with the, I'm the pastor, I'm the leader, I'm the authority. Listen to me. It's my job to hold you to these standards, etc. Now, with the loose perspective, this side avoids conflict and tension as much as possible in any area, and especially in areas as volatile as the topics we're covering in season seven. The standards they hold themselves to are based on how they and others feel, which leaves them with no objective measures for what the moral or right and just answer is. This side tends to be an enabler, removing any discomfort brought on by confrontation. 
And these people show they don't actually care for others when they avoid confronting people who are in pain for their own benefit. Great. Thank you. So there, there are our sides. There's either bullying tendencies or there's enabling tendencies. And as we go forward, I want the listeners to remember that the number one technique that we're going to use throughout this season is to repeat back to the opposing side what they believe to their satisfaction before making my point. It's the only way to have a profitable interaction because it causes people to listen to the other side once they know they've been heard. If someone doesn't feel heard, they're just going to argue their point until you repeat back to them to their satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. Debating would actually be a benefit if seeking first to understand was the guiding principle that the debating mediators followed. I don't know if it would get many views. <laughs> right. I would watch it. I would watch a debate like that. I think it wouldn't be as as entertaining, but we would learn more. We would. It would be much, much healthier for our brain, but I don't yeah. think that's why people are watching debates. But what we're trying to do is we're focusing on understanding each side first. And with that said, let's get into today's topic. What is it, Joel? Today's topic is pornography. Excellent. What is the strict side of the topic? The strict side of the topic would say pornography is a serious sin. It is the same as committing adultery, which is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Excellent. So I'm going to repeat back to Joel to his satisfaction, and I'm going to ask Joel if he's satisfied with that. Joel. Yes, sir. What you just said to me is you presented the strict side. And what you said is pornography is a serious sin. And actually the same as committing adultery, which is one of the Ten Commandments. Break a Ten Commandment, that is really, really serious. Do I understand you? Yes, you do. Thank you. Excellent. Loose side. What is the loose side of the topic? The loose side would say pornography is up for interpretation and God forgives our sins anyways. Okay. So repeating back this side to your satisfaction, God forgives and pornography is really up for interpretation. Almost like, you know, like you're saying, if, if it is a sin, God's going to forgive it. Right. If, you know, it's really who can say, yeah. It's kind of like it's up in the air. So we can we can uh, we can debate about whether or not it's a sin, but it's not a black and white situation. Right. Right. So does that make sense? Do I understand you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So in summary, pornography is a serious sin. On the strict side. So it, they liken it to the same as committing adultery, which is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And the loose perspective is pornography is up for interpretation. And God forgives our sins. So if it's a sin, God's going to forgive it. No problem. So now let's get into 
the argumentative sides here, these perspectives. So we're going to argue for the strict side and against the loose side. And we're going to argue for the loose side and against the strict side. Yeah. So how would you argue for the strict side, Joel? All right. So if I was on the strict side, I would argue for this perspective by saying, well, Jesus said, looking at a woman with lust is adultery. Matthew 5, 28 says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if on the strict side, I was trying to debate and argue against the loose side, I would say, well, pornography is addictive. It destroys families and it even fuels sex trafficking. Some questions or a question I would ask somebody on the loose side who's trying to enable pornography, this belief about pornography, is do you look at pornography? Hmm. I don't need an answer. But what I would do is learn a lot about how this person does respond. If they do look at it, but they're unwilling to answer, it could show that they're ashamed and actually don't support pornography. So that's a good question that I could ask somebody from a strict perspective to the loose side. Do you look at pornography and just leave it at that? Excellent. And how would you argue for the loose side? If I was on the loose side, I would say, well, men don't have a choice. God made men to be visual creatures and attracted to women, which this can be summed up by the famous line from the poet Alexander Pope. Whatever is, is right. Now, if I'm on this loose side arguing against the strict side, I would say, you know, God's creation is beautiful. God made Adam and Eve naked. It was their sin that caused them to need clothes. And a question I could ask if I was on the loose side arguing against the strict side is, is the book Song of Songs pornography? And the implication there is essentially how much can we talk about, discuss, read about, even visualize sex? You know, think of some famous paintings or even the statue of David. How much can we think about and look at these things before it becomes pornography? So that would be me on the loose side arguing against the strict side. Cool. Thank you. All right. Ultimate answer time. What is the ultimate answer, Joel? Well, big picture, as with every episode this season, our answer is leadership, grace, and love with an emphasis on Paul's approach as shared in the season seven supplementary episode. If you haven't listened to it, please do. It is foundational to every ultimate answer this season. We need to know whether we are talking to a believer or an unbeliever. We need to know whether we are talking to someone who is strong in the faith or weak in the faith. We don't want to cause a believer to stumble, and we want to reach the unbeliever for God. So all of this goes much deeper than what topic we're discussing. We're actually trying to be a benefit to whoever we're talking to, regardless of what we're talking about. That's what this season seven is all about. How can we have civil discussions, even in the context of the most polarizing topics? 
So the way we would be a leader is to seek to understand the other person's perspective. With this topic, we could start with making sure we understand each other's definitions of the keywords we're using, such as pornography, sex, etc. As it relates to the grace and love principles, ultimately, when interacting with either side, the person ought to take direction from God via grace in order to love that person. Grace and love are key to avoiding enabling and key to avoiding judging the other person with the hopes of winning them. Now you can listen to, I encourage you to listen to the grace episode, season two, episode 13, and the love episode, season one, episode 15. Now with all of that big picture explanation done, here's some more specifics as it relates to the topic of pornography. I'd like to offer you a perspective or some perspective that you may not have thought of. There are people who say not to look at a woman at all. This is the wrong way to deal with this issue because you can't indefinitely control whether or not you see women. And if you don't learn how to deal with this issue, it is going to come out sideways. If looking at a woman is the stimulus and committing sin while looking at a woman is the result, there are several steps between the stimulus and the sin. It's just that it happens so fast we don't realize it. And a lot of times the people are addicted to this mindset, so it's happening without them realizing it at all. Right. It can feel like it's one step, but it's actually we could see at least six steps. One, you have to look at the woman. Two, you have to choose to imagine them without clothes. Three, you have to imagine them in a certain location. Four, you would have to imagine you are with her. Five, you have to imagine your clothes are off. And six, you have to imagine sex with her. It's the sixth step where the sin would occur, where you're imagining imagining sexual intercourse with this person. The issue is that men are undercutting their own sex drive and then blaming it on the woman they are with, which causes that woman to think she has to focus more on beauty to keep her man. So let's take a quick look at the difference between beauty and attraction. Awesome. Beauty is defined as a pleasing appearance. This has been well known for ages that beauty is skin deep. Beauty is about the image. And since no one is perfect, the definition of most beautiful is having the least imperfections. Attraction is defined as an invisible power within a body by which it draws anything to itself. So attraction deals with the invisible power within the body. This is spiritual by nature. This is something that can grow. Nice. Basically, men blaming their lack of sex drive on the woman they are with are focused on beauty. And these men are the real problem. Right. In fact, they are wrongly causing women to bear the man's burden. Nice. 
Now let's take a look at our thought process. We have talked about the unconscious brain. Check out the animal thinking episode, season three, episode eight. The unconscious brain is the 90% of your brain with all of your energy, behavior, and sexual attraction. Now we, the mind slash soul, are unknowingly using our conscious brain to ruin our sex drive. For example, what does your unconscious brain think you want in the following two scenarios? First, you pull up to a stoplight. You spend two seconds looking at the light. You spend two seconds looking at the beautiful woman walking on the sidewalk. Two, you spend two seconds looking at an old woman in the crosswalk. And you spend two seconds looking at the light. Second scenario, you pull up to a stoplight. You spend two seconds looking at the light. You spend three seconds looking at a beautiful woman walking on the sidewalk. You spend one second looking at an old woman in the crosswalk. You stare at the beautiful woman walking on the sidewalk until someone honks their horn because the light has changed. Oh, yes. So again, what does your unconscious brain think you want in those two scenarios? Go ahead and answer. Pause, 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 pause. Welcome back. In the first case, your unconscious doesn't adjust at all. You looked at everything equally. In the second case, your unconscious begins to look for beautiful women for you to stare at more. And it makes you feel uneasy until you do stare. You are training your unconscious brain in what you are attracted to by what you focus on. If that thing you're focused on is is beauty, is outward appearance, you are training your brain to undercut your sex drive. Now let's take a look at a different part of the brain. The nucleus accumbens. This is part of the pleasure center of the brain, and it sparks when you experience a pleasurable activity, ignites when you experience a reward, and is an integral part of the conditioning reflex which means that when we try to teach ourselves or others to do a certain task, like exercising, and then reward ourselves to cement a new behavior, we're leaning on the nucleus accumbens. The activation of the nucleus accumbens is one of the causes to us being able to experience pleasure. Basically, if you're feeling good, it's because the nucleus accumbens got triggered. The male nucleus accumbens works in a way that is that a woman's does not. When a male sees a naked or scantily clad woman, his nucleus accumbens fires. It's the same feeling as if a starving person saw a plate of food across the room. They would want to devour it. When a female sees a naked or scantily clad man, Her nucleus accumbens does not fire. This is why women are always shocked when there is a shot of naked breasts in a movie, especially at a seemingly random part of the movie. Right. It's not there for the woman. It's there to keep the males interested in the movie by giving them a jolt of energy. So why did God make males' brains to work this way? Because if a male only sees his wife naked, it will always give him energy. 
Instead, males stare at other women, and that causes their unconscious brain to lower their sexual attraction to their wives. If a male is only focused on his wife, then all his brain shows up for sex. However, if a male is staring at other women, then his unconscious doesn't think he wants to be with his wife, and at best, 10% of his brain shows up for sex. The problem is, 10% sex for most males is great. However, it will be 100% if they end up having sex with the woman they are staring at. So a man could think they are actually in love with the woman other than their wife. And then what's going to happen when they are with this woman? They are going to stare at another woman and their attraction is going to lessen to the new current woman. So they will think the current woman isn't doing something to keep him interested. Now, pornography is worse because the women participating in the pornography don't want to have sex. And that is being communicated unconsciously through their facial expressions and body language. Men who focus on pornography rewire their brains to only enjoy sex with a woman who doesn't want to have sex, which is also known as rape. The reason many marriages become sexless months after the wedding ceremony is due to a pornography addiction. The husband can only enjoy sex if it is rape, and that is communicated to the wife unconsciously. Both begin to feel uneasy about sex, and they don't know why, and they don't want to talk about it. So what is the issue? Males are rewiring their brains to avoid tension, and it is having dire effects on nations. In countries that have normalized porn, Males are not asking out females because they can't stand the tension of going out on dates. So how do we fix this? Well, check out the Dissolve episode, season five, episode 13. But let's look at the four ways that we could respond to this. One, absolve. Ignore it and maybe it'll go away. It won't. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Two, resolve. Humiliate the men and or put software that prevents them from viewing porn. Won't work. Nope. Three, solve. Tell their wives to have sex with them every day or do some other program focused on stopping the addictive behavior, which reminds them every day they have a porn addiction. Now, again, since you can't do a don't, this is going to wear out everyone involved. You have to do the opposite, which is what the fourth and dissolve answer is. You focus on the intangible cause. Now, remember, the definition of masculinity is to put the best interest of others ahead of yourself. Pornography is not masculine because the benefit is completely to the man. Worse, pornography is idolatry because a real woman is not present, just an image. He is giving himself to an image. So what is the opposite? Taking an emotional risk with a real woman. An emotional risk is something personal the male shares that could cause the female to completely be disgusted by and reject the male. In a sense, 
It's something he shares that won't immediately make him look good. Basically, the man is looking for a thrill, and he thinks sex is the biggest thrill, so an easy undercut answer is porn. Actually, sex is an effect of the biggest thrill. I mean, we know males who jump out of airplanes and do other thrill-seeking behavior, but taking an emotional risk with a woman scares the life out of them. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest thrill for a man, taking an emotional risk with a woman. And the reality is females are attracted to males who take an emotional risk. Whoa! Amazing. Okay, I'm going to repeat back the ultimate answer. Great. And ultimately, I mean, I want to start with this, but ultimately when interacting with either side, the person ought to lead the other person by taking direction from God via grace in order to love them. Grace and love are the key to avoiding enabling and key to avoiding judging the other person with hopes of winning them. So now that's our ultimate, ultimate answer for every episode. Now yes, let's get to this specific answer. So we want to prevent sinning through pornography, but the main strategy given by the world and the church is a focus on either enabling it you know, it's okay. We're, we're men are sexual beings, sexual creatures, men and women, sexual creatures, or focusing on not watching porn and neither are healthy options. So people who are married, who watch porn are actually rewiring their brains to enjoy having sex with someone other than their spouse. It's an intentional rewiring process. All the people who watch porn are rewiring their brains to enjoy having sex with someone who does not want to even have sex. Essentially, they're rewiring their brains for rape. Yeah. So what you share, Joel, is four responses to a pornography issue. We can absolve it, ignore it, and maybe it will go away which will never happen. We can resolve, humiliate the men or put software that prevents them from viewing porn. You know, humiliation is essentially you, you emotionally beat them down. Software is like putting uh, a covers on a light socket so that a child doesn't become electrocuted. Yeah. You're essentially trying to prevent this. Well, that's not going to work either. Then there's the solve approach. So tell the wives to have sex with them every day or do some other program focused on stopping this addictive behavior, which reminds them every day that they have a porn addiction. So either put the burden on the woman. She needs to bear the responsibility of his problem. And all all any of these programs do is they just basically treat you like you are who you are is an addict yeah and so you can only do what your addiction is 
since you can't do a don't. And it's going to wear everybody out involved. So the only answer is to do the opposite of, of solve. The only answer is to not focus on anything physical, but to focus on the intangible cause. The way to get rid of this, this physical focus is to focus on the intangible. And the intangible cause is for these men to be masculine, to put the benefit of others ahead of themselves. And porn is the opposite. It's one of the most emasculating things that you can do. Destroys your thought process in your brain because it is completely focused on the male. What is for his short-term immediate benefit at the expense of everybody else. And the masculine and dissolved response is for the man to put the benefit of others ahead of himself, which is, and how does he do this? How does he become attracted to a woman? He takes an emotional risk with her. This real, live, not an image soul that is this woman. Joel, is that to your satisfaction? Yes, it is. It feels good hearing it too. So thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. This this is an incredible, oh my gosh. I know this is such a life-changing topic and every male needs to hear it Yeah, because it is so the opposite. I've never heard this anywhere else that this ultimate answer is to focus on the intangible. And guess what? We can become more attractive as time goes on. So we become more of who God's made us to be. What's more attractive than that? Well, thank you, Joel. This has been What the Flock. If you'd like a deeper study of this topic and how to deal with people who either bully or enable, listen to the Music of Life Church podcast companion episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.